so tonight we will be in Acts chapter one. And if you're going Acts, I thought we were in John. Um, last week I called an audible because quite frankly, we're a plant church and we are brand new. We are trying to get started, get going. And there's a, there's a book in the Bible about exactly that. It's the book of Acts. And so we have paused on the book of John and we're going to start in the book of Acts. And the very first message is called, Why Are You Looking Into the Sky? So we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. Um, and if you remember last week, uh, at the very end of service, I said, hey, imagine that, um, that you were going to leave your kids at home. Um, what would be the last thing you said to them? And, and we talked about how you'd probably tell them the most important things, like don't talk to strangers, don't uh, don't use the oven, you know, whatever it is that you were concerned about. That's probably the last thing you tell your kids when you leave, if you have kids. Um, well, this is exactly what we're going to be looking at tonight, because we're going to hear what Jesus has to say to his disciples about being disciples. And it's the last thing he's going to say before he uh, before he leaves them. So that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. You know, if you are with us and can hear us, could you open us in a word of prayer before we jump into our message tonight? Okay. Lord, uh, we love you. We thank you for this time together. We ask God for the anointing of your Holy Spirit to come. We invite you, Holy Spirit. We ask that you would speak to the hearts and the ears and the hearts of those that are here tonight. Let your word change us all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And boy, is that pertinent. Uh, Gina was just praying for the Holy Spirit to be with us, and that's going to be one of the topics of conversation this evening. All right. You know, I like to lead us in with something uh, just to get us kind of thinking. And so I, I came up with a list of myths that you just might believe, even though they're not true. Okay, so these are myths that you just might believe. The first one is that water conducts electricity. It turns out water is actually an insulator. It does not conduct electricity. Now, let me quick, let me quick quickly tell you: do not run and grab your boombox and plug it in next to your tub and and accidentally knock it in the tub, because if you do that, it will be a really bad day, but it's not because of the water. It turns out water has minerals in it and the minerals do conduct electricity. So do not plug stuff in, do not curl your hair with the curling iron while you are in the bathtub. That's a very, very bad idea, but it's not the water that conducts electricity. It's the metal, it's the, the ions that are in the water that actually conduct the electricity. Another myth that you just might believe is that the blood in your body is blue while it's in your body. You've probably heard that before, that the blood is blue while it's in your body, uh, but it's red once it comes out. Uh, that's actually not true. The blood is red, whether it's in your body or out of your body. Uh, what is uh, also true, though, is that the tissue around your veins makes it look blue from outside because of the way light refracts off your skin and your veins and that sort of thing. So it appears to be blue in your body, but it is not. It is actually red. 
All right, another one. Uh, and I've heard this one a bunch of times. And the myth is that humans only use 10% of their brain. Have you ever heard that before, that we only use 10% of our brain? And if we could just figure out how to use the other 90% that we'd be somehow superhuman? Yeah, that's kind of not true. And the reason is that about 10% of your brain is what we call gray matter. And it is the the parts of the brain that control functions, that make your heartbeat, that make you uh, able to have speech, all of those things. The other 90% of your brain is called white matter and it's connective tissue that kind of holds it all together and, and makes all those gray matter parts work with one another. Um, so quite frankly, none of the gray matter would work without the white matter. And there is um, no part of the brain that doesn't light up uh, or, or function when you think, when you speak, when you do those things. So um, that would sort of be like saying, um, you know, if you throw away the peanut shell, the peanuts, uh, you know, aren't real. That's, that's not really true. So you, you really do use all of your brain. You just use it for different stuff. All right, I like this one. Um, the Great Wall of China is the only man-made structure you can see from the moon. Have you ever heard that one before? Um, that myth was propagated of all times in 1932. Ripley's Believe It or Not um, published a cartoon where they said that the Great Wall of China was the only structure, man-made structure you could see from the moon, which is rather curious since we wouldn't even land on the moon for another 30 plus years, but that was their claim. And it turns out that even at um, very low altitude in space, you can't actually see the Great Wall of China because it blends in, its color blends in with the surroundings around it. You're much more likely to be able to see a runway or um, something else that has a contrasting color to the, uh, to the area around it, but you cannot see the Great Wall of China from the moon, just so you know. If you're ever on the moon, you will be disappointed. You will not be able to see it. Um, I found another one. This is a good one. Um, chameleons change colors to match their surroundings. Isn't that what we think? That chameleons, like if they're scared, if they're upset or whatever, they, they hide themselves by camouflaging themselves by changing their color. Um, yeah, that's not exactly true. They actually change color to show their mood. For example, if the male chameleon is approaching the female chameleon because, you know, um, and, and the female doesn't want to, she'll change her color to warn him now is not a good time. They actually change their colors to be bright and noticeable. Um, so they actually blend in better and are more camouflaged when they don't change their color than when they do change their color. Um, I just have, uh, I'm actually going to skip, there's there's one that um, I, I love though, because I've heard this, that if you dropped a penny off the Empire State Building and it hit someone, that it would kill them. Have, have you heard that before? If you drop a penny off the Empire State Building, it would do tremendous damage. Well, we have this thing called, you know, friction and we have um, air pressure and all of these things combined. It turns out that about 50 feet below the point that you drop the penny, it stops gaining velocity and it would be going about 25 miles an hour when it hit the ground. Uh, and while that would probably sting, it's not enough. Um, not enough to really hurt you that bad. Uh, in fact, Myth, Mythbusters, the show, tried shooting uh, a penny out of a 
out of a gun essentially at 3000 feet per second, which is substantially faster than 25 miles an hour. And it still didn't have enough um, uh, force to even like break your arm. So it is not true. Uh, if you've accidentally dropped a penny off the Empire State Building, don't worry, uh, it's not gonna kill anyone. So um, th this last one, I don't know if I believe this one, but um, you know, we've, we've all heard that sugar makes kids hyper. Well, they've actually done a study and sugar um, does not actually make kids hyper. It was a, a theory that started in 1978 um, when weirdly enough, we found that um, kids with hyperactivity disorder, their blood sugar would decrease when they ate a lot of sugar. And we thought that that meant that when their blood sugar was abnormally low, that it would make them more hyper. And it turns out that um, not only was it kind of normal, um, but I thought this was great. They did, uh, they did double blind studies where they gave parents a placebo and in all of the tests they did, more parents who had given their kids placebo reported hyperactivity than the parents who actually gave their kids more sugar. So unfortunately, um, it's not the sugar. It's probably the fact that they're with all their friends and they're having a good time that they're all worked up. It wasn't the sugar that made them that way which I think is a great reason to just give your kids a whole bunch of sugar right now. Um, maybe throw some caffeine on it and see what happens. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Uh, all right. So these are all myths that I'll bet at least one of those you believe or, or maybe right second guessed a little bit. So we'll see what that has in common with our lesson tonight. And like I said, we're going to be in Acts chapter one and um, I'm going to go ahead and start here, and I'm going to read the first five verses of Acts chapter one. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all the things that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit spirit. All right, so I want to break this down just a little bit. And starting out, uh, he, the author here says, in my former book. So he is referring to what we call the book of Luke. Luke and Acts are really a two-volume single book. We have broken them into two separate um, writings, but they were really part one and part two of Luke's book. Um, and, and it's really a history first of Jesus. It's the history of Jesus in the book of Luke, and then the history of the church in the book of Acts, all right? And Luke is a unique individual, especially as a writer in the Bible, because he is a Gentile. In other words, he is not Jewish. He also was a physician, and so he was a professional. He was educated, um, and not only was he a physician, but as 
we have seen in the book of Luke and we will see as we go through the book of Acts, he was also a top-notch historian, all right? Uh, you might be asking yourself, who is this Theophilus? Well, um, there is some question about that. Um, it could have been a Christian who just wanted some instruction that had hired Luke to do these writings. Uh, most don't think that's the case. Um, most likely, Theophilus was a Roman uh, uh, official who had been uh, either briefed or hired, or uh, it was suggested to Luke that, that he wanted um, an account. It's even possible that he is defending some um, request, uh, like, hey, we don't believe this is true. Go, go find out who this is. We don't, we don't know who Theophilus is. There are, quite frankly, even those who think it's generic and it's not written to a single person, but rather to a group of believers because the name Theophilus actually means God lover. Theo, God, Philus lover, God lover. So I don't actually think that's the case, although I, I think it's a great story. Um, and we don't know the answer, but it's probably, most scholars believe, a Roman official who has asked Luke to investigate Jesus and the church. So we're going to be looking at here, the book of Acts, the history of the first church. All right. <clears throat> so um, I want to, first of all, call out that there's something that's really important, a transition that has taken place in between Jesus' death and his resurrection. You know, um, before Jesus' death on the cross, if you, if you look all through the book of Luke, and of course the other gospels as well, Matthew, Mark, and John, you will continually see Jesus um, breaking himself off from the crowd, even from the other apostles, the disciples, and going to spend time in solitude with the Father. Right? He is spending time with God the Father, and he did that to re-energize himself. He did that um, for guidance. He was continually, literally daily, if not more often, spending time with God the Father. And then something is different here. You'll notice that in uh, verse 2, it says, until the day he was taken up to heaven after given instructions through the Holy spirit to the apostles he had chosen all right this is this is really important because here we are seeing that jesus didn't go to the father for guidance but rather he is giving guidance through the holy spirit all right so the holy spirit was already on earth at this point and he had he was already jesus was already accessing the holy spirit he was already receiving guidance through the holy spirit so this is a this is a big shift because if you lived in in time before jesus came to earth right if you wanted to if you wanted to communicate with god you had to go to the temple you had to first of all you had to bring your sacrifice to the temple and then once you had presented the the proper sacrifice, you would tell a priest what your prayers were, and then the high priest would take those prayers into the most holy place in the temple, and he, and he alone would communicate with God the Father. Um, but that all changed, because the perfect sacrifice had been given. There was no reason for any other sacrifices after Jesus 
was sacrificed, okay? <clears throat> and, and now there's, quite frankly, no more need for an earthly temple because while God chose to reside in the temple, God the Father chose to reside in the temple, the Holy Spirit has chosen to reside everywhere all at once. That's a very different way of existing here on earth. And he is everywhere and with all of us all the time. So there was no more re reason for a temple. Um, and quite frankly, we have become the temple. All right. I hope you're tracking with me. So uh, this is this is a really big shift. And it's incredibly important. Uh, as you were listening to our opening prayer, uh, Gina was praying that we would that we would be uh, connected to the Holy Spirit, and that he would guide us through our scripture tonight. Essentially, that's paraphrasing, but you get the idea. Um, that is how it works. It's not how it worked before Jesus, but thank goodness we live on this side of the cross. We live on this side of the resurrection. So each and every one of us has the Holy Spirit to help us once we're saved to get through this life and quite frankly, to understand what we're reading. All right, couple of quick notes out of verse three, his suffering, just want to make sure that's referring to his crucifixion, death and resurrection. So um, it's what you, um, uh, wow, all of a sudden it went away. The name of that movie, uh, thank you. That's the passion of the Christ. Wow, brain freeze. Um, but that's his suffering and certainly it was a suffering. And then I want to make sure we really understand the language that immediately follows. He presented himself to them. Now, this doesn't just mean he was in the same place that they were, but rather he presented himself for examination. Imagine uh, if you've ever been in the military, you went through boot camp or basic training, whatever your service called it. And each and every day, I would think, or certainly on many occasions, you would have to present yourself for inspection. And they would check your bed, they check your gun, there was your uniform right, all of those things. Um, this is that kind of language. It literally means to open yourself up to inspection. So when, when Luke says that Jesus presented himself to the apostles, he literally let them ask questions, put your fingers in the holes in my hands, verify that I am who I'm saying I am. And the same is true uh, over that 40-day period. He would present himself to over 500 witnesses, okay? And, and remember, there were, he says there are many convincing proofs. So what, what would some of those proofs have been certainly the holes in his hands, the holes in his feet, the um, spear wound in his side would all have been convincing proofs. But also, one can imagine conversation with Jesus, because obviously Jesus knew everything he had ever done and said. So, and now this is not biblical text, this is John just extrapolating here. But I can imagine a conversation that went something like, Hey, remember that day, Jesus, when uh, uh, when you made that blind beggar, uh, you gave him sight. Well, I can, I was there, you know, I was under the olive tree when you did that. I, I saw you do that. And I can see Jesus coming back with, well, yeah, I remember you under the olive tree, but I also remember that you kind of were, you know, 
circling around, you were trying to get a better vantage point. You were trying to see what was really going on. In other words, Jesus would have known all of the things that the people would be able to talk to him about. Because quite frankly, the most convincing testimony for someone to have been raised from the dead is to remember what he had done while he was alive. And so this wasn't just, hey, let me see the holes in your hands, because although I can't imagine doing it, I suppose theoretically you could fake that. You couldn't fake a conversation that you'd had with someone a year before. Okay. And so Jesus gave many convincing proofs, first to the apostles, then to the 500. All right, makes sense. All right, so um, I have to think too that when he he says he spoke about the kingdom of God, there had to be a lot of you know kind of who, what, when, where, and how conversations that went on, and we're going to talk about those a little bit later in in more detail. But this is the first question I want you to really think about. Because here in in verse 3, it says, he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. If Jesus showed up in your living room tonight and he wanted to talk about his kingdom, how prepared are you to have that conversation? On a scale of 1 to 10, if 1 is, I've never opened the Bible and I know nothing about the kingdom of God, and 10 is, you know what, I think I could teach at a seminary. I know as much as anybody about the kingdom of God. Where do you fall? And I want you to think about that because I think it's important how you would rate yourself on kingdom understanding. All right, something just for you to think about for a moment. Before we move off these verses, I want to make sure that we cover verse four. Because he gives them a command. He says, do not leave Jerusalem until you have the Holy Spirit. And we'll talk about what that means more in a moment. But but I, I think this is a really good reminder that if you're not prepared for God's work, don't run out in front of God. I mean, the truth is they weren't quite ready for the ministry that God had prepared for them. He was saying, hey, you're not quite ready. You need something else, and it's the Holy Spirit. But I think that's a good lesson for us, Um, because if, if if you're not quite ready for ministry, then you need to be careful about running out in front of God. Now, let me make clear here. I'm especially talking about those of you who perhaps aren't yet believers. Quite frankly, you shouldn't be doing any kind of ministry. Uh, And there's there's a really uh, interesting story that we're going to get to eventually. It's in Acts 19. um, And it goes like this, starting in verse 13. It says, some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons, I try to say this one three times fast. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them. Jesus, I know. And Paul, I know about. But who are you? 
Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Okay, this is, this is a good warning. If you're not yet a believer, do not try to go into ministry for yourself. That's a really bad idea. Now, I don't want to discourage you um, from being in ministry by any means, because the truth is all of us should be in ministry. What we do need to do is make sure that we're under God's protection. Um, and that may be as simple as praying on the armor of God in the morning, being connected to him before we leave the house, that sort of thing. So another question for you to consider is, do you ever run out in front of God and out from under his protection? If one of the, if one of the apostles had decided to go start his ministry a couple days early, it, it could have gone very bad for him, right? He certainly wouldn't have been as effective as he was or as they were with the Holy Spirit, all right? So the other thing I want you to consider is, do you ever leave home ready to do God's work, but maybe you haven't even said good morning to Jesus yet? You haven't even said good morning to God. Um, would you do that to anyone else in your house? Would you get up and get out of bed if you happen to be a man and you're sleeping next to your wife and you have kids, would you get up and walk around your family and never say good morning? You probably wouldn't, right? But I admit, I, I have done that before. I have gotten up and certainly God is with me all the time. And I have certainly just gone through my whole day and never even said good morning. So something for you to consider. Do you ever do that? Um, and I guess maybe should you? Something something just to think about. All right. <clears throat> is now the time. They, you know, the the next part of this passage is uh, is telling. It says, says, starting in verse 6, Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the time or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. All right, so first thing here, they don't realize at this point that the new kingdom would not happen in their earthly lifetime. Um, I, I think they get most of what they needed by now. Uh, they obviously realize that that Jesus has had to die. He would be resurrected, all of those things. But they were still wondering, are you going to restore your kingdom to Israel? They're still looking uh, for the end game. They're still looking for what we would call the end times. And they really were wondering, hey, is this going to happen now is this is now the time you were resurrected you've been here for 40 days everybody knows you're real now um is is now the time and the answer of course is no it's not time uh and i'm, I'm sure they would have been blown away if he'd have said no in fact it's going to be at least a couple thousand years 
um, before it is time, but he he also lets them know, hey, it's it's really not for you to know. And that goes for us as well. It's not for us to know either. What the Bible is clear about is work like it's today. You need to act like today is the day because you don't know when the time comes. There's one verse that says it will come like the like a thief in the night. Um, nobody knows when Jesus will return, right? Um, but that's not important. What is important is that you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Um, now, one thing, just a quick little side note, you may be wondering, how is it that um, one part of the Trinity keeps information from another part of the Trinity? How would God the Father know one thing and Jesus not know the same thing or, or something like that? And it's, it's quite frankly, one of the mysteries of the Bible. It's one of the mysteries of the Trinity. Um, you know, how does that all work? But there's a really important concept in, in verse 8 that's far more important, and it's not a mystery, okay? Forget about the stuff we don't understand. Kind of like Jesus is saying, it's not for you to know the times or dates. It's not apostles. It's not important for you to know that. Here's what's important. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes, and you're going to be my witnesses. All right? Um, now, if you're wondering why Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, they were from the Jerusalem area, and they were in Jerusalem when he's speaking to them, okay? So, in other words, you'll be my witnesses in your home town. And then he says, in all Judea and Samaria. Now, we're going we're gonna to break that down a little bit later, but... Um, it's important to know that Judea and Samaria are close by. They're not their hometown, but they're reasonably close by. So I live just outside of Dallas, Texas, okay? So if he were talking to me, he said, he might say something like, hey, you're going to be my witnesses in, um, in Dallas, you know, your hometown, or I live in a little town called Rockwall. Um, you're going to be my witnesses there. And you're also going to be my witnesses in Fort Worth and Austin. There are two other areas that are close to home. They're not your home, but they're close to home. And also to the ends of the earth. In other words, to California, to Russia, to Antarctica, wherever, right? It's going, we're going to be our witnesses all over the planet, okay? And this is why we are not just missionaries in our own hometowns, that we are not just to serve those and to preach the gospel and to go reach the lost in areas that are close by. Many, many people um, not understanding God's heart, but wanting um, to be good to other people say, well, wouldn't it be better if we took care of those people here at home before we left and went to Haiti? And from a human perspective, they have a point, but that wasn't God's plan. Um, and quite frankly, God's plan was that you were going to do it all. You were going to be witnesses where you live. You were going to be witnesses in places that are close by. Um, and you're going to be witnesses all over the planet. 
All right. Last section of verses here, starting in verse nine. After he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand there looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. All right. So Jesus ascended to heaven where he is today with the Father. Remember, they are both in heaven and the Holy Spirit is here with us on earth. Okay. Those two men dressed in white who suddenly stood beside him, those were angels. Very simple. Uh, these two angels show up and they have a, they have a message, a two-part message for those who are standing around watching Jesus ascend into heaven. All right. And they, again, they say two things. And the second thing they say is that, hey, Jesus is going to return the same way that you just saw him go. In other words, Jesus is coming back again, okay? And he's going to come back from the clouds, just like he went away into the clouds. But what you may not be catching is the way he said it, okay? The way these angels told them, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? What are you waiting for? That's the best way I can paraphrase this for you, is Christians, what are you waiting for? He's coming back. And he's coming back the same way he left. Why are you still standing here? Get to work because time is short. See, why do you stand there looking to the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven means why are you wasting time? He's coming back. You've got to get to work. Time is short. That may be a different way that you've read this verse before, but that's what these angels are getting at. All right. Remember earlier I said, hey, the the conversation about the kingdom of heaven probably had a lot of kind of who, what, when, where, and how conversation attached to it. So let's look at those things as they apply to the scripture we're reading today. First of all, the what. The what is really clear. Be my witnesses. Now, what is a witness? A witness is someone who testifies to the truth, right? If you're a witness in a trial, you sit in a box or in a chair and you are asked, what is the truth? And you tell someone else what the truth is. You talk about, you tell the truth. What did you see? What did you hear? What do you know? He doesn't say, be my people who hang out in their houses. And if somebody asks them, you know, whatever. He says, be my witnesses. Go share the truth. All right. They are not silent. Witnesses are not silent. They speak. Okay, so that's the what. Be my witnesses. The next piece of this is the who. Who 
are to be witnesses, certainly his disciples. Do we all agree with that, that his disciples are to be witnesses? Now, I will tell you all through the New Testament, the language is very, very clear. All of us who accept Christ as our Lord and Savior are disciples. We're not part of the 12 original apostles, but we are all disciples. And it is us, the disciples, who are also to be witnesses, okay? So the countless disciples of Jesus are called to be witnesses. That's the who, the where. We talked, we touched on this before. Jerusalem, your hometown. If you live in Atlanta, Georgia, Jerusalem is Atlanta for you, all right? Now, the next one is kind of interesting because he names two different places. He says Judea and Samaria. And I said, if it was him talking to me, he would have said Fort Worth and Austin. Those are both cities in Texas, and both are a little ways from me, but reasonably close. They're in my semi-local geography. But those two places are very different, okay? Judea was close by Jerusalem, and the people who lived in Judea looked, talked, and believed like people in Jerusalem. Close by and similar. Samaria was radically different. It was close by, but the people there didn't look like them. They didn't talk like them. They didn't believe like them. All right. Now, I live in a pretty kind of conservative area of Texas, and the people in Fort Worth are, on average, folks who are more likely to wear cowboy hats and jeans than they are to wear skinny jeans, have tattoos, and be millennials, which is what Austin is like. See, both of those places are reasonably close to me, but regardless of which people group you're in, whether you also um, maybe you have a pierced tongue and a, a cool tattoo on your arm and you dress one way, maybe you are more like Austin. And for you, the cowboys out in Fort Worth are different. Or maybe it's vice versa and it doesn't matter. The, the point is there are places that are close by, but people are different from you and there are people who are similar to you and you're called to both those people groups. And then of course, onto the ends of the earth everywhere else. Wherever God sends you, you're to be a disciple. You're to share the good news, whether you're on vacation, whether you're on business, whether you're on mission, it's all the same. Wherever God sends you, that's where he wants you to be. All right, so that's the where, and then the when. Now, right, why do you stand there looking into the sky? To us, how many church services and how many Bible studies do you need to go to before you go? The when is now. And then the how, because this one is critical. Not by yourself. How? With the help of the Holy Spirit. Now, even if you have never read one verse of the Bible, God can use you to share the good news about Jesus. I want to make sure that's really clear. With the Holy Spirit's help, even if you've never read a single word, you can still be a good disciple. Remember that story of the woman at the well? She discovered Jesus. She believed. 
she didn't know anything about the Bible. In fact, Jesus even told her that the Jews worship who they know and the Samaritans worship who they do not know. In other words, you don't even know the scripture. You don't even really understand who God is, but yet you believed in me. And she went and she saved her whole town. All right. So if you go with the Holy Spirit, you have enough. Now, does that mean you shouldn't read your Bible? Absolutely not. Clearly, God can use you for more and more and more. But the important thing is the how includes the Holy Spirit. All right. So earlier, we discussed that there may be myths, things that aren't true, that you believe. Now I want to talk about a truth that you might think is a myth. And that myth, perhaps, to you, is that people say that Jesus was resurrected. You might think that's a myth. But I want you to consider after Jesus died on the cross, the 11 remaining apostles were distraught and depressed because Jesus was dead and they still, at this point, didn't understand that he was going to return from the dead. They thought Jesus was gone forever. They stopped their ministries. They hid in fear. And they even made plans to go back to their old jobs. The fishermen talked about going back to their boats. They, had, they were literally ready to abandon everything they'd seen over the last three years. Then something miraculous happens. The tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. And he proved himself alive to all those apostles. Then he proved his resurrection to more than 500 people, and he stayed on earth for 40 days, allowing people to verify Jesus was truly alive for themselves. You can imagine, Bob, we got to go get Joe. Joe talked to Jesus before. We got to bring him back so that he could see that Jesus is alive 40 days. It's a really long time. Even in a culture where you had to walk from town to town 40 days is plenty for them to verify that he was really alive now after his resurrection everything changes for these apostles remember friday jesus hangs on a cross saturday they're ready to give up their ministry go home hide do whatever it took to get off the radar and then suddenly on Sunday, they will do anything to preach the good news. In fact, 10 of the 11 apostles will be martyred brutally for their faith. Now, this is really, really important. There are people who will give their lives, there are people who will give their lives for things that aren't true if they believe that they're true. So I can, I can make a quick example. An, an Islamic um, suicide bomber believes Islam is true and will give his life or her life for a cause that's not true, but they believe it. 
I'll tell you what's not, what will never happen. Nobody gives their life for something that they know is not true. People will not do that. Um, like I said, it's one thing to think something's true and it's not, but if you know that it's not true, if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead and they and the apostles had believed it was not true, that he was not God, they would never have given their lives for that, especially not willingly. They would never have given their lives if they didn't, if they believed it was not true. But they knew it was true. And so they would risk everything for Jesus. And Jesus let all those witnesses see him alive so that you and I could have the same exact proof that he had or that they had. We have the same proof that they had. We have the eyewitness testimony of all these people who would then sacrifice themselves. And history clearly illustrates extra biblical evidence, no sweat, that, that Peter and James and all these people, they were martyred for their faith. And horribly, most of them. So what are our next steps? For those of you who have not met the risen Jesus, um, I, I beg you, allow me to introduce you to him. He is an amazing God. He loves you. He wants you to be part of his family. He is inviting you. Um, he is knocking on your door right now. I believe that if you're on this Zoom, that he is knocking on your door. He wants you to invite him into your life. Don't wait until it's too late. Answer the door. For some of you, you've been staring into the sky, and it's time to stop preparing to follow Jesus and just start doing it. Start stepping out in that faith that you have, proportionate to the faith that you already have. For others, there's a specific tug. The Holy Spirit already has on your heart. Maybe he's telling you to engage in a trip with the bucket ministry. Maybe he's telling you to meet me this Thursday to share the love of Jesus with others. Um, and you know what? I think you already know. I think you already know what he's telling you to do. The big question is, will you do it? So let's pray for these things. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for such a clear illustration of how our church should look, how we should love one another. Lord, as we move through this book, you will teach us how to be a faith family, how to follow you, how to love one another. Lord, I thank you for this book that Luke wrote. I thank you that you spoke through him, that this is your word. This is your guidance. This is you telling us how to be a church how to live together, how to do life together, and how to have an impact for your kingdom. Lord, I pray that, that these words would speak to us. They would touch our heart, even tug, pull, do whatever it takes, Lord, to our hearts to, to bring us to a place where we will not just be obedient, but we will serve zealously, that we will be passionate and excited about the future that you have laid out for us. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. All right. So commission opportunities. Uh, like I said, um, this Thursday, we're going to go out, uh, hopefully at least a couple of us, hopefully more. 
and go look for opportunities to share the good news of Jesus. Uh, we invite you to be part of that, even if it's praying from home for us. So we would love to have you communicate with us uh, about that. And um, please enter, pardon me, the names of those people that you would have us to pray for who don't yet know Jesus. Please enter just their first names in the chat um, so that we can be praying for them and um, I pray that you would sow seeds for them. Uh, if you know them, you have the opportunity to do that. You can either sow maybe the very first seeds about Jesus for them. Maybe you need to water the seeds that somebody else has planted. Um, let's all be praying for these folks because we never know when the harvest will come. Uh, the, the people that we're praying for, they may be ready for harvest today. It may be tomorrow, it may be 10 years from now, but let us be faithful in planting, watering, and harvesting those who are ready for their new lives in Christ. We love you. We thank you so much that you have been with us this evening. We look forward to seeing you um, next week, especially, I, I, again, I am super uh, encouraged that you were here on Super Bowl Sunday, and God is super, isn't he? Mm -hmm. We love you. We talk to you next week. Take care now. Bye-bye.